As you become more powerful, more prominent in a hierarchical structure, the less you use your ability to take the perspective of other people. There is a bit of narcissism, there's a bit of a sense of entitlement, but we all have the capacity to take the perspective of other peoples. Power. It's essential for leadership, but to wield it effectively, do we need to better understand the interplay between the person designated as the leader and those being led? Hi, I'm Joe Lee from Brown University's School of Professional Studies. Listen to this interview with Brown University Professor of Psychology Joachim Kruger to find out how he explores the power dynamic in his Brown Executive Masterclass, Psychological Perspectives on Strategic Decision-Making. So what is power? An easy answer would be just to say um, everybody knows it. It's a folk concept. Uh, power is all around us. And um, if you press people a little bit to define it, then you find that they have trouble and they're mixing up certain things. So one thing I would like to clarify to, to lay the ground is um, some conceptual distinctions that uh, end up being very relevant. And the main one, I think, is between power and status, um, where we think about power as the ability to control resources that are valued by other people. Or in simpler terms, the ability and the legitimacy to, to reward and to punish. And that is different from status. So you may be disliked or liked for it. You may be admired or respected or disrespected. And uh, so in people's minds, power and status tends to be confounded. And I want to be very clear that power and status refer to different things because power can be given, can be engineered within an organizational structure, but status depends on how other people respond to that person. Is and so in part, it has to be earned. That was my question. Okay, so power is different from status. Status is something that needs to be earned. Correct. Whereas power is simply where you sit in that flow chart. And, and I think it's useful to have a very clear and technical definition of power. So another distinction I want to make is between power and influence. And uh, people tend to conflate that. If I influence you, if I convince you to do a certain thing and then it happens, you do the thing, it confounds my strength with your weakness. So it may just be that you're a weak person, you do anything that people ask you to do, it's not really a flexion of my power. So influence is part of the power relationship, but it's not power per se. So that's the second distinction I'd like to make. And, and a third, which is less important, but quite interesting, there's a negative kind of power that we value, many of us want to have, and we call that autonomy. So we don't want to be, we want to be free of constraints, free of being, uh, having dictated to us what we need to do, and that's autonomy. That's an important point of, important part of power, maybe not the primary one in an organizational context, but nevertheless, some form of power we desire. So how does this um, concept of power with these sort of various aspects to them, how does it relate to leadership? Yeah, just imagine if you look at power only, um, without regard for these other components, and you have somebody who is high in power, that doesn't automatically turn that person into an effective leader. So ideally, of course, um, you're looking for somebody or looking yourself to be that somebody who has the tools of power in hand and also uses them wisely, which is that kind of behavior that would earn respect 
and a high social rank and status. And, uh, and that is, status does not come automatically. Again, it needs to be earned. And um, so, therefore, the psychology that people learn and learn about is very much concerned with the capacities and the typical behaviors people engage in that are those that uh, generate status. So what leaders wield power in a way that you admire? Those who have earned that high status that I have uh, talked about uh, by a force of personality or natural charisma, but more likely by a consistent behavior that is respectful of others, that uh, is trustworthy. And that's the kind of behavior that builds status. And if that's combined with the power to distribute rewards and punishments, then that kind of leader will be able to act in a way that the power that the person has is not really all that obvious, that most of the transactions are carried out on the status platform, that yes, there's the capacity to uh, give rewards or meet out punishments, but it doesn't have to be exercised. If it is exercised, it's not exercised in a brute way, but in a subtle way. Given that, is there someone that stands out in particular for you or an example of that that stands out for you? Everybody has a favorite. Um, And so I don't think there is one or two that are agreed upon. I'm generally uh, skeptical of these kinds of nominations of great examples of power because uh, these things tend to change. What I would tell students is that in their own local environment where they work, where they make a career, where they want to rise um, in an organizational structure, if they can find uh, that person as a mentor who combines structural power and personal and behavioral status, um, that is someone that they can seek out and follow as a role model for a while to find their own way. Um, in teaching, to make general points about power, I would rather go to a fictional example. And um, Robinson Crusoe comes to mind, um, a fictional person and a castaway. The novel was published uh, sometime 1711. It's considered the great first novel in the English language. And there are two parts to it. So in part one, Crusoe is on this island and he has to survive. So what he's engaged in is what we call games against nature. Nature presents the challenges, where to find food, how to build uh, a shelter, how to protect himself from the animals. And he masters all these challenges. And um, that is fantastic. But that's only the first half of the book. In the second half of the book, he has a companion. The cannibals arrive uh, on the island and they want to eat uh, some of the tribesmen, and so he chases them off the uh, the island, and this one person that would have been eaten remains. And uh, Crusoe calls him Friday because it wasn't a Friday. He kept a calendar that he um, rescued him. And now the dynamic is very different because it's a dynamic, it's a behavioral play between two rational beings who have interests, preferences, needs, desires, including a needed desire for power. So arguably one possible outcome would have been that they kill each other or one kills the other. doesn't happen. It's not a real story, but they do find what um, game theorists would call an equilibrium. And uh, Crusoe ends up, in my analysis, in a, with a higher power, 
um, but it's one that is grounded in respect from Friday and not in fear. So these kinds of stories, I think, even today, 200, 300 years later, we can use as templates, as frames to understand some of the interpersonal nuances in a power relationship. So in your class, psychological perspectives in decision-making, how do you teach leadership? The class consists of a number of modules, and there is no module on leadership per se. So each module has a particular relationship to the larger topic of leadership. There is judgment and decision-making, there is trust, and there is power. And each gives you one facet, one entry point into effective leadership. And here, I think I've made this clear that with power, very much depends on a successful combination of power and, uh, and high status. So we do not live in an entirely mechanical world where power is granted and executed. And thank you very much, that's the end of it. It's also not like non, some non-human um, animals where you explain most of what's going on and what's interesting in terms of dominance that's um, enforced. Even among non-human animals, it's more complicated than that. And uh, in humans, of course, even more so. So I'm going to stress the interpersonal element. And I think that's a very significant lesson to learn because in much of the literature and teaching on leadership, there's too much focus on the person who is the leader. And that's a person-oriented approach. We can learn much about the capacities and the behaviors of that person and infer what makes them successful or fail. Um, but we need to have a broader window that we see the interplay between the person that we designate as the leader and the people who are being led, because they too have some power. It may not be as much in the levers that they have to pull and to have little punishments and rewards um, are different, but they're very significant and they're important for uh, the leaders to see. There's one bias that's all too human that I will impress on the students and hope they can see this and be mindful of, and that is as you become more powerful, more prominent in, an, or in a hierarchical structure, the less you use your ability to take the perspective of other people. You know, there is a bit of narcissism, there's a bit of a sense of entitlement, but we all have the capacity to take the perspective of other people's. Leaders, unless they're nudged not to do it, will tend to pay less attention to the perspective of others. But it's critical because of the interpersonal nature of power and leadership to not let that go. Professor of Psychology Joachim Kruger is a faculty member in the Brown University Executive Master in Science and Technology Leadership Program. To join our conversation, visit our website at brown.edu slash professional and follow us on Twitter at brown underscore SPS. Thank you for listening. <laughs>